Thank you for listening to Scandinavian Crimes Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode links and be part of our other social media platforms where you can leave a topic suggestion or even share some of your insights regarding the subject matter of the episode. We will always do our best to provide a well-researched episode, but sometimes due to limited access to information and translation issues, some information can be lost. It is therefore good to do your own research and get a deeper understanding of a case of your own interest. So with that all said, let us start today's episode. Welcome to Scandinavian Crimes. My name is Avante, and say hello to my lovely, beautiful host, Delilah. Hi. And on this podcast, we will cover famous Scandinavian criminals who made their mark throughout Scandinavian history. So we are back. Uh, I want to apologize because I know the week before that I told you guys I was sick, but I had like some stomach issues going on. I mean, like I was uh, I was pretty much dead. Cause you know, so that's my bad. Welcome back. And then again, I'm not. Then again, I'm not apologizing for being human, <laughs> no matter how amazing I am. Um, so sorry about that. But this case, just to ease my way back into the flow, because like I said, I was pretty much dead. Uh, this case is very interesting. Now it's not long, but ultimately there is a lot of like twists, a little bit, and just a lot of back and forth. So this is more like a miscarriage of justice situation when it comes to this particular case. And this took place, what, 2006? So a little while ago, you know, I have to accept that now, you know, as I'm born in 93. So I forget 2006 was like almost 20 years ago. Uh, So uh, (laughs) but either way, yeah, it's been quite a while since 2006. Oh, crazy. I was in like fifth or sixth grade. Jesus Christ. But either way. (laughs) <laughs> Let's get into the story because this is the 2006 Uvila homicide. At the time, this was a pretty big case locally within the area. And, you know, of course, this is one of those situations where we're going to talk a lot about the actual process of the crime itself because there wasn't a ton of detail in terms of the investigation process, as well as just how they came to certain conclusions, as some of that information was not public. But we will tell the information as uh, kind of how it was presented and kind of talk about the court case, because that's the backbone of this uh, particular story in general. So, y'all know the usual. Just grab your snacks, grab some tea, grab some coffee. You know, if you're on your way to work, you already know the vibe. And on today's episode, we're going to cover the 2006 Ulvila homicide case. In a quaint town of Ulvila, Finland, tragedy struck on December 1st, 2006, when 51-year-old Juka S. Lati, a respected social psychologist and father of four, fell victim to a heinous crime that would unravel a web of deceit as well as suspicion. Initially, the police pursued an outside perpetrator, but the investigation took a far more dramatic turn on September 2009, when the victim's widow, Anneli Iyer was arrested and charged with the murder. Iyer's turbulent journey through the legal system would lead to two convictions in the district court, both of which were later overturned by the appeals court. Ultimately, in December 2015, the Supreme Court of Finland solidified her acquittal, marking the end of the tumultuous legal battle. Now, as we dive deeper into the night of the murder and the subsequent investigation, a perplexing tale will unfold. 
On that fateful night, Anneli Iyer made a haunting call to emergency services at 2.43 a.m., recounting the masked assailant's brutal attack on her husband, Juca S. Lati, in their family home. Lati suffered multiple stab wounds and head injuries while Iyer herself was left wounded. The ensuing police investigations led to the detention of several suspects, including an actor identified by Iyer, but later cleared. Speculation swirled with one theory pointing to revenge for Lati's professional decisions as an HR director. In the following years, the case took unprecedented turns, revealing some interesting revelations and unheartening hidden truths. In 2008, a new investigator took charge, focusing on the pivotal emergency call made by Ayer. Forensic analysis indicated no evidence of external assailants, leading to an intricate undercover operation involved Iyer. The subsequent arrest for Iyer in September 2009 raised suspicions of her orchestrating the crime during the emergency call, setting the stage for a crazy legal battle. In October 2012, the Supreme Court of Finland decided to send the case back to Tatakunta District Court because of the new evidence the prosecutors presented after Iyer's appeal. In the summer of 2013, it was reported that the DNA sample that was taken from the crime scene had in fact been contaminated and the unknown male DNA belonged to a crime laboratory examiner. In December 2013, the Satakunta District Court again convicted Iyer in a two-to-one ruling and sentenced her to life imprisonment. Iyer appealed against the second conviction to Vasa Court of Appeals. The appeal hearings began on September 2014 and ended in October. In February 2015, the Vasa Court of Appeals overturned her conviction for the second time. The verdict was once again two to one, with one of the judges ruling to uphold the district court's verdict. According to the verdict, it had not been proven that Arya had staged a crime scene and the presence of an outside perpetrator could not be ruled out based on the evidence presented in court. The court did not accept the prosecution's claim that the phone call to the emergency services contained parts that Iyer had pre-recorded. The judge who voted to convict Iyer was of the opinion that she was the killer and had staged the crime scene. As the legal proceedings unfolded, Arya's fate hung in a balance with new evidence and conflicting testimonies shaping the narrative. The prosecutors appealed to the Supreme Court and provided the court with new evidence. An analysis done on behalf of the prosecution claimed to prove that the phone call had been pre-recorded by Iyer. By pre-recording the sounds of the killing before the phone call, Iyer could have more time to stage the crime scene. The analysis also concluded that Iyer had yelled, die, instead of don't die, as she claimed. The defense team rebutted the claim with their own expert statement, which stated that the tape had no evidence of tampering and that an outside person can be heard on the very tape. In December 2015, the Supreme Court dismissed the appeal and upheld the Court of Appeals verdict, which had found Iyer not guilty of the murder of her husband. In a series of trials and appeals, Iyer's conviction and subsequent acquittal painted a super complex picture of guilt and innocence. The Supreme Court of Finland's final ruling in December 2015, absolving Iyer of her husband's murder, marked the culmination of a long legal saga. Iyer's ordeal, which included over 600 days of wrongful imprisonment, culminated into a landmark compensation awarded in 2016. 
something else that people, you know, found out later on after this case was kind of settled was that in 2016, over 50 police officers were charged for trying to access Ari's information in the police database. Most of them only received fines. The Uvila homicide case stands as a poignant reminder that the intricacies of justice and the complexities of unraveling the truth often can face tons of adversity. Um, this just felt like a huge legal battle, honestly. <laughs> it just, um, it kept going on forever. Uh, I still don't understand the basis of their, them denying. Was it only because of like, yeah, but the, what was it, the main court or the Supreme Court uh, said this? So I don't know. I don't understand why they kept denying her. Well, I will say, let's just so we can clarify also for everyone, while I also, you know, kind of go down this uh, list of information here. So it's kind of all over the place because that's how it transpired, which made this case kind of what it is. So basically, her husband was killed, right? Then after that, they initially thought it was outside people because on the 911 call, they heard someone else on the tape. So they initially started looking for other people. Then the police eventually stopped looking for other people and they started looking into the wife. And the wife was then, you know, charged and convicted. But the wife was not doing the one, like the call, the emergency call. She was the one who did the emergency call. But she heard other people. Yeah, but the person who was on the other end, they heard someone else on the background. So they assumed it was an assailant who broke in and did what they did to her husband. Now, what the court was arguing, prosecution was arguing, was that she staged everything. And I try to look up the motivation. I understand that reasoning, but it's just like they didn't have any proof. They just. Yeah, well, I was going to get to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, basically, they tried to say, like, okay, well, she staged this whole thing. Now, that was actually a big uh, whole, that was a whole big situation in the courtroom as well when they try to look up some of the information. It's a little inconsistent because, like I said, a lot of this did not become public. But a lot of people did ask what was the motivation behind it because seemingly there was no correlation on why she would have to kill her husband in such a way and also go through this whole process in the first place. So that was also something they brought up in court where there was just like, it doesn't make sense. Like, what was the whole reason behind this? And then, you know, that was one of the reasons why also one of the judges who did the acquittal afterwards kind of agreed. But uh, supposedly they had found DNA. And, you know, as I said in the story, the DNA was kind of uh, corrupted by the supposed crime techs. So it was a lot of just craziness where it seems like they did not properly preserve the crime scene or they didn't do things that would help or maybe make just sure was very messy with a blood everywhere or something because she was also hurt right wasn't she also yeah she was also severely wounded, which in, is yeah which was also something that was brought up as well so moral of the story or basically long story short is just simply everything was all over the place there was no real there was nothing absolving her of technically being accused there was nothing solid, but also there was nothing proving that there wasn't someone there. 
that's pretty much what this case came down to in court. It was a huge legal battle, like you said. It was more like a he said, she said. Well, prosecution, I think she yeah, did I feel it well. Like whenever there's oftentimes when they do like he says, she says is like they don't really do like they don't really base it only from that. They also have to especially if somebody's dead, if it's a homicide or if it's like somebody's death, they don't go based from no evidence at all. Usually, mm-hmm. um, so I just I was just mad confused. I was like, why are they denying? Like they don't have any proof, and the only evidence or for forensic forensic evidence that it existed didn't was corrupted or not corrupted, but it was dead. Like it wasn't really properly um, taken care of. So I just I just just like there's she doesn't have anything on her. Except yeah, for was, the other voice in the background of the emergency call. Which was what was weird because I'm like, they never that even was made also weird. Argument. I agree with you on that one. It's just like, they never really made the argument that like, okay, well, she did it exactly. The, the main argument was just that, oh, there was no one else there. So it only had to be her. So I think it sounded like at least this is this is strictly my opinion at this point it seems like they were trying to just say she did it because they couldn't find evidence of something else they weren't necessarily denying kind that. of yeah and also so, without any motive it's also very strange that like they literally had nothing on her but i i, I guess that's what they ended up doing is like there's nobody else who could be a suspect so yeah. And they kind of just put it on her. So it was just weird. And then, like I said, some of the information isn't even public. So, and then on top of that, as a... Maybe the I've, prosecutor was just amazing. So, like, he... <laughs> we don't really know what happened in the trial, so... Well, we don't. We ultimately know that she is free. You know, she was eventually acquitted. And... There were a lot of con- there was a lot of con- uh, controversy about this case as well because, like I said, police officers were trying to intervene even after the acquittal for the final time in 2016. So this case was very messy, and even then, like the evidence that they supposedly had and brought to court was simply just like some brown fiber, which in a home can come from anywhere. You know, people come from outside, people go to work. Like they they had nobody had a smoking gun in this case, at least based on what I saw. There's nobody who seemed to like, oh, yeah, I have groundbreaking evidence. And it was literally a case of he said, she said, and nobody knows who to believe. (laughs) So what I like, however, with this, like at least she got compensation. I don't know how much compensation, I guess. I actually don't know what they compensated or how much she did. They compensated yeah, her, but I at least she got something back. But like, not everybody does, or they get so little, it's not really like in the same level as what mm-hmm. they've been through. Um, and also because the she was acquitted, and also the case was kind of uh, she was free from her accusations. I'm glad that when police officers trying to charge her or access her information they got fined for it because that's false information or like that's something that they can't base anything from 
uh, and I actually like that. But I'm th- I'm th- I think that's strange that they can still access it in a way. Uh, I think they should probably write down that it's not like real or something. I don't know. I will say one thing too that I almost forgot, which you know you guys in the public can kind of make up your mind and see which how you feel about it. But uh, basically, there was also talks that she was potentially coerced into a confession. Because uh, they also one of the things that they were talking about, like, oh, you know, her story was contradictory to the phone call, like, you know, like I mentioned. But mm. the thing was supposedly that, you know, that was something that came out during the police uh, interrogation or while talking to the police. But supposedly that had to do with how the police were treating her and just the overall environment and how like, you know, you know how it is when police, especially back in the day. When, oh, they still did that in the 2000s? Like 2006, yeah, that was still early 2000s. That was no, before. I, I mean, like, I thought they stopped doing that in the 90s. Like, nah, that was still a thing in the early 2000s. It's, it was fading. They did that a lot prior to the 19s, and then they kind of like stopped doing that when they got a better technology. Or not stopped, but like lessen it. I didn't think yeah, they continued yeah. doing that in the, like, in the 2000s. That's crazy. Yeah, it was only lesson. In the early 2000s, it was still heard of, but it was becoming uncommon. Nowadays, you can't even do any. The second someone says lawyer, you got to walk out because then you're going to put yourself in legal trouble and then the case can get thrown out, period. And at least in the U.S., we have something called double jeopardy where if they just be like, yeah, you're good, you can't be charged with the same crime again. So, yeah, that's also something that was popping up where supposedly this was a course and confession uh, under the circumstances so hard to say what it is and lack of information of course because what i mean they're super vague about some of this stuff online for decent reason because there were other people involved who were listed as suspects and i'm pretty sure their reputations would get ruined if it was leaked uh, they were and just pretty much her reputation the- will be ruined because she didn't like we obviously we don't really know what happened in the trial but they concluded that she was innocent yeah. not guilty uh, so her life might be ruined because her name is going to be connected to something that she didn't do. Right. So it's not a ton of information out there, but nonetheless, you can look up the information that is available and then let us know how you feel about it. Uh, I feel, me personally, if I were to give you a solid, this is my opinion, of course, strictly my opinion from what I'm about to say. I do think there is some negligence that have that maybe took place during the uh, during the investigation, Um, because at least unless there's some new information that comes out, I don't see a motive. And in every case, motive is is everything. You know, most people, 99 percent of the time, don't do things just for the sake of doing it. Like, oh, it's Wednesday. I want to kill my husband. No, most people, there has to be a reason. If it was a crime of passion or, you know, money, finances, you know, I would understand that. But there doesn't seem to be a motive. So I think there's some disconnect with the investigative process. And there's a possibility, you know, they just didn't do what they were supposed to do because of that. That's just my opinion, of course. I have no idea for sure. And obviously, if I end up being wrong, you will find out in the update episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but for the most part, that's all I have to say about it. Anything you have to say, Delilah? Delilah? Oh, I'm good. Oh, it's an interesting. It's an interesting case. 
Um, and uh, I'm glad that she was getting some conversations. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, straightforward case, very simple, something to start digesting before we get into next week's episode. And uh, let us know what you think. You already know the usuals, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Feel free to reach out. And uh, yeah, why we're going to end it on a good episode, of course. But because uh, the whole stomach virus thing, I'm not going to lie, I haven't been craving anything. My stomach is in trauma, trauma mode. So... I'm craving yeah. stuff. I can crave can for ahead. you. You can crave for me, guy. So every morning before I go to work, uh, I go and get me some breakfast in a cafe shop. And I'm craving their toast with some cheese, ham, and uh, I guess they have butter in it. I don't know, but it's really good. And I, mm. I like everything of it. And I also drink some matcha latte. Latte? Latte? I don't know. Latte? latte <laughs> uh, with it because I like matcha and I like lattes so there you go yeah she, she you know she's gonna have to do it for me so anyways I hope you guys <laughs> enjoyed today's episode really short and sweet and uh, we shall see you next week for a more juicier episode uh, peace out bye